Peace to you. Welcome to the Naked Truth. It is a weekday, so we're going to pick up where we left off in what we call the Old Testament with the book of 1 Kings. We've made it to chapter 12. If you want to read along with me, let's begin with verse 1. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So King Solomon, King David's son, who was the new king, has passed away. And now his son, Rehoboam, is who's um, being set up to rule now in his place. Verse 2. So it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it, he was still in Egypt, for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon and had been dwelling in Egypt. So Rehoboam is Solomon's son. Jeroboam is another person's son, son of Nebat, uh, someone else who's been given a prophecy that he's going to be king over uh, most of the tribes of Israel but that one would remain with Solomon's descendants. Uh, he was seeking asylum. He was on the run in Egypt, in Africa, as again and again seems to be the case, where the people are looking for refuge, they go down to the motherland, and they find it there. Uh, that's who the two we're talking about are, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Verse 3, that they sent and called him, then Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, so now it's sort of a meeting of the minds of the two, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Verse 4, your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. So now the people are sending basically a delegation to Solomon's descendant, Rehoboam, letting him know that his father Solomon was kind of a stern leader and a taskmaster, making them work hard. But they're willing to remain faithful to his son, Rehoboam, now, if he eases up on them and doesn't work them so hard. Verse 5, so he said to them, depart for three days, then come back to me. And the people departed. So rather than give them an answer right then, a decent, honest, honorable answer, he tells them to go away and give him some time to mull, mull it over, and then he'll answer them in three days. Verse 6, Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived, and he said, How do you advise me to answer these people? So Rehoboam is doing something somewhat wise. He's asking other people's opinion on how he should rule the nation. He's asking them, what do they think of the proposition that the people have sent to him about easing their burden so that they would be faithful to him. Verse 7, and they spoke to him saying, oh, he's asking the elders, by the way. Um, so verse 7, and they spoke to him saying, if you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. So the elders are giving Rehoboam the advice of be a good public servant to the people and they'll be faithful to you forever. Sounds like a solid answer. Verse 8, but he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. So now he's asked what the old folks think should be done. Now he's asking the youngins what they think should be done because uh, he rejected the advice of the old folks. Verse 9, he said to them, what advice do you give? How should, I, how should we answer this people who've spoken to me saying, lighten the yoke which your father put on us? So he's asking the youngins, what do they think? The next generation, he's asking them, what do they think about the 
the proposition that the people made that if he goes easier on them, they'll stay faithful to him. Verse 10, then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him saying, thus you should speak to this people who have spoken to you saying, your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. So um, what they're saying, the young men, the youngins, their response is to uh, Rehoboam's question is, this is how you should answer them. You should answer them roughly and let them know that if they think his daddy Solomon was hard on them, they ain't seen nothing yet. And what the that verse 10 ended with was a euphemism where it's talking about the little finger and the father's waist. What it's actually saying there is that he's going to flex more power with uh, his little finger than all of his body, his father's whole being could do. But what the real euphemism is, it's saying little finger. It's talking about his penis. He's saying that he's going to have more power with his penis than his father did with his whole body. Um, they're using euphemisms there um, with the waist and with the finger to represent other parts of the body something they do often in the in the bible but that's what they're talking about he's basically saying you ain't seen nothing yet if you're if i'm going to be your king i'm going to work you to death verse 11 and now whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you i will add to your yoke my father chastised you with whips but i will chastise you with scourges so he's nasty is the response that the youngins are giving him to tell the people to let them know yes solomon beat you with a whip but I'm going to beat you with scourges like a cat of nine tails, a whip that has thorns and spikes attached to it. So that when I beat you with it, it's not just going to be a lashing that you get. It's going to rip your flesh open. That's what the young people are telling Rehoboam. He should say to the crowd that peaceably asked him to go easier on them and lighten load so that they would be faithful to him. Verse 12. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king had directed, saying, come back to me the third day. So the people are being faithful to what the new king said. They've returned three days later to get the response of which one, what he's going to say. So which one do you think he's going to choose? What the elders suggested to him or what the youngins suggested to him? Let's see. Verse 13. Then the king answered the people roughly and rejected the advice which the elders had given him. So there you have it. He's listening to the young people rather than listening to the elders. And rejecting the advice of basically be kind and decent to them and they'll be respectful and honor you and faithful to you. He's rejecting that. He's going with the rough answer of he's just going to slave master them, slave drive them like slaves and be even harder on them than Solomon was. That's the answer he gave to the people when they returned for an answer. Verse 14, and he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men saying, my father made your yoke heavy. But I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So he's letting them know he's not going to go easy on them. He's going to be even worse to them than Solomon was. Verse 15. So the king did not listen to the people, for the turn of events was from the Lord, that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord had spoken by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. So um, the narrator here of 1 Kings, no name given for who it is, is letting us know that they believe that um, what's happening here with his answer to the people and rejecting the counsel of the elders is actually a fulfillment of 
and the Lord working to make sure that the prophecy given to um, Rehoboam would manifest, that um, the kingdom would be torn away. I'm sorry, given to Jeroboam would manifest that the kingdom would be torn, torn away from Solomon, the King David, King Solomon bloodline, that most all of the tribes would be torn away from their power and be given to someone else, namely Rehoboam. Uh, verse 16, now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king saying, what share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, now see to your own house, O David. So Israel departed to their tents. So what it's saying here is um, that the people said, oh, okay, so you won't listen to us. Well, then we don't want anything to do with you. We, King David, King Solomon, neither one have anything to do with our leadership anymore. They're cutting him off. And um, um, what was the other thing? Um, oh, the fact that it's saying, oh, Israel, um, the, the tribes are now being divided officially into two different um, factions. The majority of the tribes, like I said previously, 10, 11 or so of them being united as and called the nation of Israel now, and the one single tribe, Judah, being called the tribe of Judah. And that's the one that's going to be left faithful to Solomon's descendants, King David's descendants to reign over. Rehoboam will reign over that, though uh, remain the king of just that one tribe, Judah whereas all the other tribes will now be called Israel, and they'll be under the hand of Jeroboam. Verse 17, but Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. So just like I was saying, Rehoboam's now the king over just Judah, that one um, tribe, whereas Jeroboam is now the king over all the rest of the tribes collectively known as Israel. Verse 18, then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was in charge of the revenue, but all Israel stoned him with stones, and he died. Therefore, King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. So even though he gave them that harsh answer and decided that he, he figured, well, whatever, I'm still going to demand taxes from you. That's why he sent Adoram to them to collect the tribute from them, but they weren't having it. He rejected them, so they're rejecting him and his leadership and chased off the person who he sent as a tax collector. And he fled back to Jerusalem, the tribe of Judah, where he is still accepted as king and leaving the other tribes known as Israel now alone. Verse 19, so Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. So now the division is official. There's the kingdom of Israel with the collective 10 or 11 tribes or so. And there's the one singular tribe, Judah, um, being unite, uh, being under the hand of Rehoboam. Verse 20, and, it, and one other thing about that, as it says, to this day, letting us know again that this is a retrospective. It's the person who's written it. Again, it's not named. The person's obviously not named First King, even though that's the name of the book, even though it's my name. It, that's not the, um, that's not who um, is saying it. It's not clear who's writing it, but to the point of whoever it is, to the point in time where whoever it is who is writing it and documenting it um, was alive, um, the, the kingdoms were still divided up until that point. That's why I'm saying to this day. Verse 20, now it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had come back, they sent for him and called him to the congregation 
and made him king over all Israel. There was none who followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. So now the division is complete. The, um, the, the civil war, without a war, is done. They're divided. Now just the one is being faithful to the house of Judah, uh, King David's descendants, and all the rest of the tribes are now officially uh, united together as Israel under the hand of a different leader. Verse 21, And when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against the house of Israel, that he might restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. So he rejected them. He's gone back to his safe haven of his own people, his own tribe anyway, um, and now decided, well, I'm not just going to let them get away. I'm going to force them to be under my hand. And he's basically forming a, a, a war party to go and demand that those other tribes that have now seceded from him to be rejoined to him and faithful to him, even though he rejected them. Verse 22, but the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, so now it's um, saying in this verse that a prophet, is that's a, when they say a man of God, that's another way of saying um, that it's a prophet, it's a seer, it's someone who has a supernatural connection to the divine, that he's been given a message, Shemaiah has been given a message, saying from God, even though Lord is still being translated from the word or name Jehovah, God is still being translated from the word Elohim. Um, and that's who has um, given a message now. It's not clear how, whether it's a dream or a vision or a direct voice. And he's been given a message to um, give back um, to someone. Let's see, verse 23. Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people saying, so now we have it clear here that the house of Judah, the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin are united together as um, under King Rehoboam, that's King Solomon, King David's descendants. Whereas the other 10 tribes are united together under Jeroboam. But the two tribes are now being given a message by Shemaiah from God. And it's, it says God, that's why we're reading it as God, whether we believe it's God or not. And I only say that because if you read with me before, then you already know. The New Testament says no one seen God, seen God's form or heard God's voice at any time. So um, just as a footnote, verse 24, thus says the Lord, you shall not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Let every man return to his house for this thing is from me. Therefore, they obeyed the word of the Lord and turned back according to the word of the Lord. So the people were preparing themselves to make war. The um, kingdom of Judah, the uh, united under Rehoboam, Judah and Benjamin, were getting ready to go make war against the other tribes to make them be, um, be under the hand of Rehoboam, the David dynasty. <clears throat> Excuse me, but rather than get to go ahead with that civil war, the prophet was given a message to take back to uh, Rehoboam and no, don't do it. Don't start a war. Don't go that route. It's it's from by the Lord's design that the division has happened. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 25. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there also. He went out from there and built Penuel. 
So um, Jeroboam, the other king of the other tribes, the other ten tribes, is now building up his kingdom. He's um, basically set up base in Ephraim. That's the same Ephraim that Bethlehem is in that Jesus was born in, um, according to the New Testament. Uh, verse 26, and Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom may return to the house of David. Um, so um, Jeroboam, the one who's leader of the other tribes, is concerned that the other 10 tribes might uh, not be so faithful and actually uh, go back to being under the control of David, Solomon, and now uh, Rehoboam's hand. So what's he going to do? Verse 27. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So he's concerned that the people, if they do start making sacrifices uh, at the place of worship of the two tribes of the kingdom of Judah, then the people will lose faithfulness and turn on him, kill him, and then go back to serving uh, the David dynasty rather than stay faithful to him, even though he's the one who received the prophecy when his clothes were torn in the previous chapter that we read. Verse 28, Therefore the king asked advice, made two calves of gold, and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, who which brought you up from the land of Egypt. So now uh, he's gone from bad to worse. He's been given the prophecy that he'll get to be king over the majority of the tribes of the Israelites. Um, but that's not enough for him. He's afraid that they won't stay faithful to him. So what he's doing is what we've read them uh, being done before, setting up golden idols. For some reason, the people love to choose cows. They love to choose calves, the little baby cows, and make them their deity, make that their object of worship, the same way you might wear a crucifix around your necks or a star of David on your clothing or a new moon if you're of another religion. They're making the calves, the golden calves, their God, and even declaring that that's those cows, those baby cows, are who actually delivered them from enslavement in Africa in the Exodus story that we read. That's what's being declared to the people, that it's the two, the golden calves that have rescued them and that that's who they should worship now and that that's what they should be united under as the kingdom of Israel rather than following the kingdom of Judah. Verse 29, and he set up one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. So now he's set up these idols, as they'd be called, golden cows, for the people to worship as their uh, god as the one who rescued them from enslavement in Ethiopia, and I'm sorry, in Egypt, um, what we read in the, in the Exodus story, I guess the one who also gave them the Ten Commandments. And I guess it would be understandable that they would think that because remember, that's what happened when in the Moses days, they had a golden cow made by Aaron and they started worshiping that in, in the time when Moses sort of went missing um, in, their, when, in, in their judgment, they thought he'd gone missing. But he was going to go get the Ten Commandments, according to the narrative. When he returned, the people had already fallen into idolatry and started worshiping a cow. Now it's the same thing. Now they have two cows set up, one in the north and one in the south, for the whole kingdom to go to worship. It'd be just like building a church in the north and building a church in the south and telling people, that's where you're to go and worship. Don't go bothering to worship uh, in the 
other kingdom, the old kingdom, the kingdom of Judah anymore. Don't bother with Jerusalem anymore. Now just go to Bethel or Dan, whether you're in the north or in the south, and you can worship these cows, the ones who rescued you from being slaves in Egypt. Verse 30. Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. So um, the narrator here is letting us know the fact that they set up those cows as their new gods became a sin to the people and that the people were being faithful and going to worship the cows in um, Bethel. I'm sorry, in Dan. That's the northern area. Um, and this is no statement against whatever you want to worship. Believe what you want to believe. Other religions do still worship cows and probably were a religion happening even before what we're reading here in the Bible, such as in India. They worship cows there and hold them as sacred. But they're not the only ones. Lots of different people around the world throughout history and even in modern times worship lots of different things. In America, the number one thing that seems to be worshipped is money. And that's not even, doesn't even have life, but it's what people live and die for. Uh, verse 31, he made shrines on the high places and made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. So the narrator here is letting us know, like I said, it'd be like setting up a church. They're setting up shrines places of worship, holy places to worship the cows. And um, the people who are over the worship aren't uh, Levites, meaning they're not descendants of the tribe of Levi, the one chosen back during the Exodus days in the book of Exodus when the people were emancipated from enslavement, when the tribe of Levi was chosen to be sort of the priestly tribe, the holy tribe. It's none of them that are being set up as the priests. Instead, it's just people from any, any no randos. He's choosing whoever he wants to be, it says, from every class of people, letting them know, you can be the priest, you can be the priest, you can be the priest, and just setting them up instead, which is against what we've read in previous scriptures that's supposed to be done. That's what's happening. Verse 32, Jeroboam ordained a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And at Bethel, he installed the priests of the high places which he had made. So you have the other feasts, Passover and so forth, that were um, ordained when the people were emancipated from enslavement in Africa. Um, those three times a year where the people were supposed to uh, go up to the holy place and make sacrifices and whatnot. So he's mimicking that for his new kingdom, Jeroboam is, for the rest of the tribes that aren't, that he's he's persuading them, um, setting up alter alternatives for them to worship rather than going to Jerusalem to worship. He set up the cows and the priests in the places where he's chosen for the people to go and worship and make sacrifices there. And you almost have to do that if you want them to remain faithful because just like in modern times, it's religion along with politics that are used to hurt the people into believing a certain thing, into thinking a certain way, and into acting a certain way. And it's not just in America, it's around the world. Religion is used that way to control the thoughts and actions of people and keep people united under that belief system. Even though almost all of them, whether they're Muslim or Christianity or Judaism, all have their own interpretations. Muslims have the Shia law and the... Um, What's the other one? I forget what it is, but there's like two. They're divided on how they believe you should worship. Jewish people have, <clears throat> excuse me, orthodoxy, the ones who are really, really strict in their interpretation 
of the Jew, um, Jewish laws. Christianity has a plethora of uh, different interpretations of what Christianity should be, even though Jesus has his words in red, like we've gone over again and again, almost none of those different denominations are faithful to what it is Jesus actually said. Very few are. Um, I really can't think of any that are. If they were, I probably would have been a member of those churches when I was still looking for a denomination. That's why I'm now self-identify as a red letter Christian, because we're not really supposed to have denominations. We're all supposed to be united under what it is Jesus says as Christians. It's supposed to be his words, the red letters that we're guided by, but that's not what churches do. But that's the same thing that's happening here. We're reading about he set up the calves for and set up priests and set up this religion. Descendants of the same religion of the other tribe, Israel and I'm sorry, of Benjamin and Judah, but with a whole different way of worship and um, new people, new faces and new places for the people to worship. And the people are just faithfully following like a herd of sheep. Verse 33. So he made offerings on the altar which he had made at Bethel on the 15th day of the eighth month in the month which he had devised in his own heart. And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. So he's set up a new religion. He set up the places for the people to worship. He set up the gods for the people to worship and even declared a holiday that that's where you're supposed to go up and make your offerings to these deities. These cows that I've set up for golden cows. They're not talking cows. They're not flying cows. They're not cows that can perform miracles. They're not cows that are preaching or teaching. They're just golden cows, golden statues of cows that the people are um, now being told this is where who and where you're going to worship. And just like that, it's been set up as the new religion for the other tribes, the 10 tribes, um, to now be faithful to. That was the last verse in this chapter. So that's where we'll end this reading. As always, thank you for joining me for The Naked Truth. I hope it's a blessing for you and I hope you'll join me again. I love you and I'll see you next time. God bless you and peace be with you.